starting in Matthew 5:21. Is there anyone who would like a Bible? You can put your hand up if you would like to borrow a Bible this morning. And if you don't have one, you can feel free to keep it. And Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, good morning, everyone. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, you've said good morning six times already, so we've got to stop uh, that every time. But uh, we are so glad you're here. Uh, my name's James. We're going to uh, be opening the, the scriptures. We're taking a break uh, from our Esther series for a week here, and then uh, partly because we wanted to center our uh, service around communion today. And so we want to really focus on this, what communion is, and we want to do some, a little bit of teaching around how important relationship and forgiveness is in communion. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going we're gonna to take a, a break, and then we're going to come back to our Esther series after we uh, finish uh, with the long weekend. Uh, we'll come back, and we'll kick into the Esther series again. So this, the scripture, if you uh, didn't turn with it, there's Matthew 5, 21 through 26. And you can put your finger in there, and we're going to be uh, coming back to it in just a moment. I want to start with a story this morning. It was back in uh, 2006, there was a October of 2006, there was a horrible tragedy that happened in the Amish community of West Nickel Mines. Now, you may have forgotten all about this tragedy, but there was uh, a small community there in, West, in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And a man by the name of Charlie Roberts uh, walked into an Amish school. He shot 10 uh, young girls. And five of them died, and then he turned the gun on himself. Now, the news shocked everyone. It was uh, one of those moments in everything stands still in small town uh, America. No one would have expected this type of thing to happen. The news reporters start piling in. And we, we get to hear more of the story in the, as the days develop because some of those news agencies actually interview Charlie's mom. And Charlie's mom... Terry uh, finds out that it's her son that walks into the, into, the, into the school. Can you imagine the feeling of hearing that your own son or daughter had done something like that? Just that m- moment in time. Now CBS reports that Terry's first reaction was that she said, I got to run away. I got I to gotta leave this town. I got to run away. And that's like the right, that, that day. What happens is some Amish families come to her door and tell her that she can't leave. They don't want her to leave, that she needs to stay with them. Some of the victims' uh, families 
even attend the son, her son's funeral. And I want you to listen to what Terry had to say about in this news article. She said this, There are not words to describe how that made us feel that day. For the, for the mother and father who had lost not just one, but two daughters at the hand of our son, for them to come up and be the first ones to greet us. Wow. Is there anything in this life that we should not forgive? Now that word, forgive, caught the attention. There was countless numbers of editorials and talking about forgiveness right after that time. And I wanted, just to, I wanted to use this to springboard. It's a, it's a story that, tell, that really asks us the question, what does it mean to forgive? What does it look like in our lives to forgive? Maybe you're here this morning and that, this kind of thing is unforgivable. There's, uh, this kind of unforgiveness is untenable in your worldview. Surely there are some acts in this world that cannot be forgiven. Surely the hatred of, to the LGBTQ uh, community in Orlando in the past couple of weeks cannot be forgiven. What about the beheading of Christians in Syria by ISIS? The rape of children and, and women in, by the Boko Haram? Surely forgiveness doesn't extend to those kind of actions, those people, right? So in terms of understanding forgiveness, I want to invite you, we're going to keep your finger in Matthew 5 there, because that's where we're going to spend most of our time. But in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, you can turn there, but it's really, I just want to focus on in the line, because it's a very familiar uh, prayer. But in verse 12, Jesus speaks about forgiveness. And, and he talks about this line, and he says, Forgive us, what, our debts. Okay, and there's lots of translations, but debts is the one we find in the ESV here today. And, you know, when speaking about forgiveness, Jesus uses the image of debts to describe the nature of sins. And there's a, if you're going to want to write down another passage just to go and read this afternoon, you can go to uh, Matthew 18, 20, 21 to 35. You write that down in your notes. You just don't have enough time to teach on it today. But it's a parable of the unforgiving servant. One of the most uh, incredible moments of reading what kind of, what does forgiveness look like in the kingdom of God? But here's, the, here's what, I'm, what we're talking about. When someone seriously wrongs you, there is an absolutely unavoidable sense that the wrongdoer owes you. Is that not true? They owe you. And that's what a debt is. The wrong has incurred a, an obligation, a liability, a debt. And anyone who's ever been really wronged feels a compulsion to make the other person pay down that debt. Now that looks, we do that by hurting them. Or we can yell at them. We can make them feel bad in some way. Or if you were one of the passive-aggressive sorts here in the crowd, that you would um, just wait and watch and hope for something dreadful to happen to them. Just, right? You've never done that, right? Never done that, where you wanted something bad to happen to somebody else. You know, only after we see them suffer in some tangible way do we have a sense that the debt's been paid. 
and the sense of obligation is gone. Now, this sense of debt and obligation is impossible to escape here in this passage. And, it, and really, what we're talking about, uh, last week, uh, we saw this with Sharon Bosma, who declared before the world that the perpetrators who killed her husband had now received the just reward for their misdeeds. We desire a world where punishment is meted out prof- properly, don't we? But we, we don't really live in a world that desires forgiveness. You don't have to forgive. There's almost an expectation that, in that case, why, would you, why do you have to forgive anyone? So if, in light of what forgiveness is not here, I, I want to think about forgiveness for a second. Forgiveness means this, giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you. But it's got to be recognized that in, in this way, forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that, that way. That it's a, you're volunteering to suffer. Think about how debts and money and stuff work. I, if I had a friend who borrows my bike and they break my bike, okay, uh, and that bike costs a couple hundred bucks. I'm a cheap bike rider, okay? Some of you have really nice bikes, way more. So bike costs a couple hundred bucks, a Kijiji bike, okay? The act of bike breaking incurs a debt of what? A couple hundred bucks, right? And if I let them pay for that, it, and, I, and I replace the bike, then I get my bike back, and they're out 200 bucks, right? It's easy. But if I forgive them of what he did, him or her, of what they did, the debt doesn't somehow vanish off into thin air, right? Either I pay the $200 to replace it, or I lose the ability to ride my bike around the city, to jump on it. So to forgive is to cancel a debt by paying it or absorbing it yourself. Someone always pays the debt. And this is the case in all wrongdoing. Even when no money is involved, when you have been sinned against, or someone's done something to wrong you, you lose something. Perhaps it's happiness, reputation, peace of mind, a relationship, an opportunity. In all cases, when wrongs have been done and there's, there's a debt and there's no way to deal with it without suffering, either you make the perpetrator suffer for it or you forgive and suffer for it yourself. Now notice with me, okay, that I want you to think about this. Forgiveness is not a compromise in morality. In God's kingdom, there is no confusion over the clarity of moral responsibility. God's justice ensures that a murderer will not, will, will not get away with murder. Even if they do in this life, there's a promise in his word that in his, in his justice, they do not get away with it. The sex offender does not get away with their crime. Forgiveness is not a violation of justice. God will never compromise his justice, but forgiveness is always extremely costly. 
When we understand the gospel clearly, we see that, in fact, we, we trample on God's law. And here is, here's the ultimate good news. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. That's what 1 Timothy talks about. 1 Timothy uh, 1.15. And because of Christ, God can rightly say he calls sinners justified. Would you turn with me to Romans 3 for a second? Romans 3.26. God says it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And so God has done what we cannot do. And Charles Wesley, and he's done what we don't deserve. Charles Wesley in his in his song, exalts this good news. He says, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? It's a question mark there. And he died he for me who caused his pain. For me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? So communion, as we come to it today, is remembering the cost. We've got to remember the cost. We don't just remember the benefit to us as believers in Christ. We've got to understand how forgiveness is very much at the heart of the gospel. And the accounts of Jesus' death, you know what they should do? They should break our hearts when we read them. If you were to go to the, the Garden of Gethsemane and to read the account of what Jesus goes through there, you see the blood. You see the sweat. You see the tears. And we've got to remember this. And then we remember that when we live lives of forgiveness... There's an emotional cost to you and to me. And, it's, and when we forgive, it's, it costs in sweat, blood, and tears. And many of you know this. Because you've felt it, you've seen it in your own life. But forgiveness demands that we give up the right to seek repayment from others. Okay? Now we're going to talk about forgiveness and just keep building on it it's because we want, to, we want to move on to that second part of Matthew 6, 12. And it says this, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now Jesus says we, we, we are to ask for God's forgiveness, but then he provides a provision that says we ourselves need to offer forgiveness to others who have harmed us. Now, that's easier said than done. We're going to talk about that in a second. It's not, just, a, it's not a, just an intellectual choice here. Why? Because the greatest singular reason not lies about forgiveness lies not on the horizontal plane. It's important to have good relationship with other people. But the greatest reason of forgiveness is a vertical relationship with God. Because it says there that for unforgiveness in our hearts provides a barrier for our worship. 
So when we fail to extend forgiveness, there's an unmistakable barrier to God. In the Sermon on the Mount there, in Matthew 5 that we had read to us, Jesus speaks those things to us, to those who are harboring things in their heart, resentment in their heart, bitterness in their hearts. And he begins by touching on the regular teaching of uh, the religious leaders. That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount does. He, He says, you've heard this said before. And then he goes through six sort of key things. You've heard what the religious teachers are teaching on this day, but I want to I show you the heart of the matter. And so we think this passage is talking about of murder alone. But God, Jesus twists it and turns it on its head. And he says this again, and I, wanna, I just want to read it again. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you, who, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, which is a, a term for like idiot, but it's a curse, okay? We, we so often drop idiot on somebody or we, we call, maybe call someone a name. But this is like a cursing of their name, a fool, She'll be guilty, it says that she'll be guilty of the Supreme Court. And whoever says this, you, you fool, shall be guilty of, be, of being able to go to the fiery hell. Therefore, when you're presenting your offer, offering at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your, your offering there before the altar and go on your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Notice, notice here that forgiveness is absolutely not about just the avoidance of conflict. There are a lot of us here. Who here likes conflict? Who here likes having the conversation? No one does. I, I hate it. No one loves conflict. Let me, let me do a com- confrontational conversation this weekend. Oh, I'm still looking forward to that one. Right? And since we don't want to have hard feelings or hard words with anyone, we skirt around the, the issues of conflict. The question is, when we, when we read a passage like this, it, it, it's got to be asked, is there someone you're avoiding in your life? You know, some of you are new to this church, and, and we don't know all your stories yet. And you're considering maybe making this church your home. The question is, for everyone here, have you dealt with the conversations that you need to so that you don't have to walk down the other aisle in the supermarket? You don't have to, like, head around the corner. Coming to God, like when you're coming to God with this, with this bitterness in your heart or a hatred even in your heart, is like trying to offer some kind of worship, and it's an act of futility. Because God, Jesus knows this, and so he, he, he stops people. And he does this to, because he's loving towards you. He doesn't want you to waste your time. He doesn't want you to just keep doing what you've been doing. He, he wants to stop you and say, um, get rid of this barrier that's blocking your worship. He loves you too much so that you'll stop, that he doesn't want you to continue to misunderstand forgiveness. And so as we need 
to in all of our our lives. We talk about this so often. We need to bring the gospel in and use it as a magnifying glass to look at our relationships here this morning. And so this morning, I really just want to, I want to finish with two, trying to apply this to our lives. Two applications. And first off, I want to talk about how the gospel brings forgiveness into right thinking. And secondly, applying the gospel so that we act rightly. If we were to get this today, I think we've done pretty well. If we have right thinking and then we write, act rightly, I think this would be pretty good for, for a Sunday, right? I found it super practical this week as I was studying the word. Just really challenging. So I want to talk about this. First off, understanding the gospel brings emotional humility and emotional wealth. Now I want to talk for a second about the gospel, not in a, um, all the facts. Because my guess is that if you've been, in, in, uh, been a part of a church before, you've heard some of the things where we start talking about like sin, and then you start talking about a barrier to God, and then we say, you know what needs to be happen? You, you need to come to Jesus, and Jesus will, because of his act on the cross, will, uh, you just need to place your faith in Christ. And we start talking about facts. But here's what we're going to talk experientially this morning. As people hear the gospel in their lives, whether it's through a friend's testimony, whether as you're talking about it, or through scripture as you read it, so many of us um, respond to God because of a felt need in our life. We we have a sense in our lives that we are um, empty, or there's a fear of eternity. There's a lack of peace or guilt that's happening in my life over the past. This is, this is just what happens so often in people's stories. You hear people tell, tell their story, and this is what I'm just saying. So we desire to know that if there's purpose or hope in this, in this world. And so God comes so often in such powerful ways. And, and you can give testimony of this, like God shows up when you are maybe broken in your life. And you have a supernatural experience. Maybe it's an overwhelming voice or maybe it's that quiet whisper when God speaks to you in the pain. And in, this, in these times, we need to personalize sin. We need to understand sin from this perspective that it was not just the sin of humanity that put Jesus on the cross. But it was my sin, my sin, that he willingly went there for me. If you never go there, you run the risk that your faith, that belief stays at an intellectual level in your life. It never transfers to your soul. And unless it becomes personalized, I believe this repentance cannot come to my heart and to yours this morning. And with repent, without repentance, uh, that's, the, that's the key to change. Intellectual belief is not enough. Why do I say that? Because Jesus says that demons, sorry, the Apostle James says this, demons believe in God, but they haven't surrendered to God. And in repentance, this turning away from sins, 
And when we believe in Jesus, the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, God says, you know what he says? He says this is sufficient. This is sufficient for you to be made right before God. And it's the greatest freedom, the greatest realization of anyone in this room when, when God actually instills that in your heart. That I don't have to do more for my acceptance. I don't have to, to do more to be made right. God loves me because he loves the Son. And through his experience, we can know the personal experience that of shame and guilt being taken from us. To know forgiveness so that we in turn can then forgive others. This is the key. The experience of the gospel gives us the, of the, the two prerequisites for a life of forgiveness. Emotional humi- humility and emotional wealth. And what do, I, what do I mean by that? Tim Keller writes in his article on forgiveness. I want to read, you to this, read this to you. You can remain bitter towards someone who, who only if you feel superior. If you're sure that you would never do anything like that. To remain unforgiving means that you are unaware of your own sinfulness and need of forgiveness. When Paul says he is the worst among sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15, he is not exaggerating. He is saying that he is capable of sin as the worst criminals are. The gospel has equipped him with emotional humility. And I'll ask you the question, are we really ready to say those kinds of things Ask that I am capable of hurting someone just like they hurt me. And until you're willing to say that, there's a, there's a problem. And along these, these lines, you can't show grace to someone if you're too needy or insecure. If you know God's forgiveness and, and love in your life, there is a limit to how much another person can harm you. Do you know that? There's a limit to how deeply another person can harm you. He or she cannot harm your real identity. They can't touch your, your, your wealth or your significance. The more you rejoice in your forgiveness before God, the quicker you are able to forgive others. You are rooted in emotional wealth. You ever thought about that? Emotional wealth in your life? That you want it? When you understand your gospel identity, you have the worldview to act in forgiveness. And so if we understand this, if we get it, if we think rightly, then it helps us act rightly. And so the second part is this, and it's acting rightly if we understand this, the gospel is your responsibility before God. What do I mean by this? It means this. Forgiveness is your responsibility. Okay? It's, you, might, you might be sitting there going, uh, well, doesn't it take two to tango? Don't I have to wait for the other person to, to come? But it, really, in God's uh, the scriptures, he talks about the action of forgiveness pretty laid out in script three ways. Because when we come back to the gospel, God says, 
forgive as Christ forgave you. So does God deal with you the way you deserve to be treated? So when this truth grips our hearts, we are now ready to extend grace to the other people. And it's really for our own good. But we have to choose to let God lead us in our, in our decisions here. You have to be willing at this point in time to surrender. And it starts with, with a choice of forgiveness. First off, God for, requires forgiveness whether or not the offender has repented or asked for forgiveness. Let me say this, Mark eleven twenty five. 25. And when you stand praying, if you, if you hold anything against someone else, forgive him. That's what it says. This does not say forgive him if he or she repents, but rather forgive him right there as you're praying. In forgiveness, the act of will precedes the feeling so often. And, I, and I could, it's, this is so easy to preach, but it's so difficult in my own heart to do. Okay? But in these moments when you ask God to help you with this choice, you, so often the, the choice of forgiving starts with a choice and not the feeling, a warmth towards someone else. This is a spiritual act, and it's a difficult thing because you're battling against your sin nature. It requires the acceptance of the gospel in your heart. It requires submission to the Spirit. It requires a confidence in God's justice. That God is good even though you don't experience, if you don't experience justice in this situation ever in your life, that God is still good in His justice. And when we do this, it allows us to enter the conversation with our brother and sister, and it allows us to speak truth and love. And that's the second part. When we talk about forgiveness, it requires us to speak the truth. When, that's why Jesus says to the disciples in Luke 17, 3, he says to rebuke the wrongdoer, and if you, he or she repents, forgive him. If Jesus is saying... Is Jesus saying that we can hold a grudge if a person doesn't repent? You, you can't read Luke 17 to contradict Mark 11, okay? Jesus is calling us here to both practice inner forgiveness and to rebuke and correct. So we got to surrender the right to pay back and get even, and yet, yet at the same time, we don't overlook injustice. And we don't have to just be quiet and not say things ever. This is almost always the opposite of the way we do it, okay, in our lives. Ordinarily, we don't seek justice from people on the outside. We don't confront people or call them to change or to make restitution. But we actually stay more hateful on the inside and bitter on the inside. The Bible calls us to turn this completely around. We are to deeply forgive on the inside so that we have no desire for vengeance. And then we're able to speak openly about what's happened to the, 
to a degree so that you can speak with a desire to help the other person see what has, they've done as wrong. In reality, this, this idea of inner forgiveness and outward correction work very well in, in, God's, in God's kingdom. We just don't follow it very often because it's very hard. Only after you've forgiven inside can you correct unabusively. Sometimes we want to make the person feel terrible, right? At least then they're suffering for what they've done, right? Only after you have forgiven already can the, can the desire be to correct the person for God's sake, for justice's sake, for the community's sake, and for the person's sake. You can't change the person's heart. And lastly, when we talk about forgiveness, it, it, the acting rightly part it finally it means that we need to leave the response in God's hands. The truth is we want to wrestle this one away from God. When we have forgiven, we speak the truth in love. One of the hardest tensions in all of these things is that we are not in control of the response from the other person. Ideally, we want them to fall to their knees, beg for forgiveness in front of us, and then we will uh, see life change. But that doesn't always happen in the real world. Very rarely happens, okay? You can have forgiven somebody in your heart, and you're actually calmly communicating truth, and there's no guarantee that they will receive it well or that they will desire to maintain a relationship with you. People tend to believe that if you're confronting me, you don't love me, and you don't forgive me. And if you really loved me, you wouldn't be rebuking me right now. The Apostle Paul recognizes that many people won't let you pursue all these things together. And so he says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. That's what Romans 12.8 says. As far as it depends on you. And that's why forgiveness is whose responsibility? My responsibility. You know, when I was a pastor in Fergus, I was part of a program called Celebrate Recovery. It's a 12-step program for Christ-centered 12-step program. I was there for my own sexual sin, and I struggled for forgiving myself for the various sins that I had done. You know, when I experienced forgiveness in my life, I experienced uh, when God took shame away from me. And after four years of uh, that and three-step studies, uh, I had uh, done an inventory in my life, and it's a spiritual inventory where you assess the things that you've done wrong or what others have done wrong to you, and then you seek to forgive them, sometimes to make amends if it's possible, to go and speak to the person if it's, if it's the right thing to do. And as part of the program, one of the hardest things for so many people to do is to attempt to make those amends with people because they are not in control of the other person's response. And so 
pride rises inside of us because we don't want to humble ourselves. I didn't want to humble myself. Fears rise. What, what if they don't react well? In celebrate recovery, there's a step that says, do your part and have as good and peaceful a relationship you can have with the people as they'll let you have. And here's what I say again. You're not God, and you were never meant to take on the responsibility of being the one who brings repentance into someone else's heart. As much as you'd like to try to be God for them, but you don't want to take on that responsibility because you're not good. I'm not good. No guarantee that I'm going to be looking out for the good of the person. And so, church, as we, as we go to communion now, we got to explicitly do what the Lord tells us to do. We have to obey God in our lives. Matthew 5 says um, what, that it's our job to, when we come to worship, to stop what we're doing and to remove barriers of unforgiveness so that we can worship God. And there's passages in 1 Corinthians 11 that speaks about examining our hearts. And so that's what we're going to do for a few minutes before we take communion today. We're going to examine our hearts in light of our relationships. And I'm going to ask you, how are you doing with people today? In the context, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, we come to worship. And we come to respond to the gospel and the, our relationships cannot be ignored. So I want to show you two pictures. History has to, showed us a picture of... History gives us a glimpse into, into the Irish uh, history, Ireland, history of Ireland. In Thracian culture, right before uh, Jesus' time, the Irish or the Thracian uh, culture worshipped violent pagan gods. And they made this cup... It was called the Gundestrup. Probably said that in a German fashion. That's my, that's my heritage. Cauldron. And it comes from the century just prior to Christ. And if you look at this picture, it's adorned with pictures of gods and uh, warriors. And this one picture really is of a, of a cook throwing the warrior into the cauldron, into a vat of oil, and so that they would experience the afterlife. It's not a pretty picture. <laughs> These gods demanded human sacrifice and to appease the ap- their appetites. Now here's, here's a second cup. And it came seven centuries later, and it's called the Ardeg um, Chalice. And it's when the Irish had turned to Christianity. And it, like the first one, it is a work of art. It's craftsmanship. But God is very different in this one. It has simple, intricate patterns, and it is called the cup of peace because it's used in communion. And as a worshiper lifts up her lips, she's, that he or she is reminded that God does not demand human sacrifice, but instead he sacrificed for you and for me, that God comes down and sacrifices. And so... Okay, I'm coming. When we're 
I want you to take a, a minute or two here, and we're going to deliver communion to your seat this morning, because we want to just have some music uh, time, and maybe on your sheet today, you need to write down some people. Maybe it's a prayer. And the questions are, what's the Spirit speaking to you today in this? I don't want to give you the, here's what you sp- you're supposed to think. I'm asking you, what is, the God, what is God uh, speaking into your heart today? Are there hurt relationships that you need forgiveness for? Are you avoiding people just because you don't want to deal with confrontation? And we're about to have a newcomer's lunch and everything, and some of you are coming from other churches, and the question I have for you is, is there a, re- a restoration conversation or forgiveness that you need to do in your heart and life so that you don't bring unhealthy hurt into this church. And I'm pleading with you that it's for your sake first. It's for your good. But it's for the good of this community that you come, if you believe in the mission of this church, that you come in a way that is healthy And not just because we're not the church, we're just not the other church. And so would we just take a few minutes as we prepare to take communion. You're going to receive the elements. Don't take them right away. I'm going to come back up and we're going to take them together as a community. I want to ask the Spirit to speak to us now. Write a prayer to him. Pray to him. Ask him if there's all the relationships in your life. Is there any barriers? to him in worship today.